Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, I'm still a little bitter about, about that. I think we should have, you know, had a chance to take that, but, you know, I'll leave it there. But... Um, now it's good to be here. I have been waiting, waiting for an opportunity to come and just to, to be with you all, celebrate worship with you all here at Hope Brooklyn. Uh, and I just, you know, I get to hear about from Russell about all of the amazing and beautiful things that God is doing here in this community. And uh, you all encourage us. Uh, your, your life together encourages us over in the East Village. Uh, we, we started last March, March of 2018, so we're, we're your, your little brothers. So, um, yeah, we're just encouraged by what God is doing here. Uh, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Over in the East Village, we uh, recently, last week, kicked off a, a series that we have called Soundtrack of the Soul, where we're taking some weeks to just listen to the Psalms together. And I say listen to the Psalms because the, the Psalms are an entirely different genre of literature than you'll find in most other parts of the Bible. Uh, the Psalms are a collection of songs and, and poems that really invite us as the hearers of those things to lean in and to listen, to hear what, what's being said here. You, you can't really engage the Psalms like you engage uh, other parts of Scripture that are narrative or uh, letters like the Apostle Paul writes, because the Psalms are filled with metaphor, they're filled with imagery, and, and the writer of the Psalms is, is inviting us to lean in and to listen to the tune of the Psalm and see if we can get caught up in that. The Psalms have served as the, the songbook, the hymn book of the people of God for, for millennia. Uh, these are the songs that, that Jesus sung as he was growing up as a Hebrew boy in the, in the town of Nazareth that formed and shaped him. And so uh, as, as those who are following in the way of Jesus, we want to, to join this tradition and sing these songs together and see how they can shape us and form us. And so today we are going to be in Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23. Uh, you, you're probably familiar with this text, but uh, as we start, uh, one of the things we like to do in East Village is we like to stand together as the word is read. So if you don't mind, could you stand with me? The text will be on the screen. Uh, and if you would like to, you can join me and we can read this together. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to talk to you about this morning. The title of our sermon this morning is simply this, God's got me. God's got 
me. Let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you so much that you are a good God who delights to make your presence known to us. Lord, uh, as we gather today, uh, we didn't come from our respective places in the city to just sing some songs. We didn't come just to hear somebody talk and say a few words. We came today because we need to have an encounter with you, the true and living God. We need to meet you today. We need you to speak to us today. And so, Lord, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would move through this place, that you would touch us where we're at, speak to us where we're at. I know we come in here with lots of different things. Some of us carry, come in carrying sorrow and burdens. Some of us come in joyful and lighthearted, Lord, but I'm glad that you meet us wherever we are. And so, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you open up our ears so that we might be able to hear you, God? And Lord, might we not only be hearers of the word, but will we be doers of the word also, putting it into action. And so Lord, my prayer is that as we continue in this service, that the only name that will be exalted in this place will be the name of Jesus. And so Lord, to that end, I ask that you would hide me behind your cross, move me out of the way so that you might be lifted up. And Lord, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 So as we uh, started off this series, I I wanted to start with this song that is by far the most well-known and most beloved out of all of the 150 psalms. If you grew up in church, Psalm 23 was probably one of the first Bible passages that you were ever taught to memorize. And even for those of us who have little to no interaction with the Bible, it's likely that if someone said to you, the Lord is my shepherd, you might be able to finish that verse for them, I shall not want. That's because Psalm 23 has become one of the most iconic and ubiquitous references within pop culture of our time. You'll hear it referenced in songs by artists like U2, Tupac Shakur, Kanye West, Coolio, Pink Floyd, Duke Ellington, and Marilyn Manson. You hear echoes of it in movies like Pulp Fiction, The Titanic, and The Pale Rider. It's been set to music by composers like Bach and Bernstein and Dvorak. And and so if you were creating a playlist of classics, sure you might throw some Bob Marley on there. You might throw some tracks by The Beatles on there. You, You might throw some Led Zeppelin or some Bob Dylan on your list. You might slide some Michael, some Prince, or some Nina Simone on there. If it's my list, you're definitely going to find some John Coltrane, some Nas, and some Lauryn Hill on there. But you sure enough can't leave Psalm 23 off of your list of classic songs. But what is it that makes a song a classic? What is it that gives certain songs the ability to cross generations, transcend culture and cross time and space to touch the hearts and capture the imaginations of people everywhere. We could probably debate about this, but in my estimation, songs that are able to do this have to have at least two things. They have to possess a theme or a message that is universal, meaning that it speaks to the common feelings, questions, frustrations, and experiences that come with being human whether it's an experience of overwhelming joy, 
anger, confusion, grief, love found or love lost. There's something about it that is universal. But while it's universal, it also has to have something that arises out of the authentically specific situation of the songwriter. So it's universal, but it's also grounded and gritty and real. And because of its authenticity, it's somehow able to connect to the reality of my own specific situation. And so what I want to invite us to do today is I want us to listen to this song penned by King David with fresh ears to see if we can discern together what it is about this song that resonates with us. And I also want you to listen for how the lyrics, the message, and the frequency of this song resonate with your soul and speaks to your specific situation. So just take a second, and I want you to just listen to these words again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. This is the dominant metaphor that runs throughout the course of this song. And when we first hear this, it tends to give us warm feelings and causes us to think about God's tender and gentle care, as it should. And, and we'll talk about that in a second. But when you pause and you think about what's being said here, you realize that this is actually slightly offensive to us. It reminds me of the time that I spent living in Georgia. Anybody else here from the South? Anybody spent time living down South? Got a few Southerners in here. Sorry to y'all, but I'm about to put Southerners on blast real quick. <laughs> if you spent time down south, you know that Southerners have a way of cutting you with nice words. Right? A, a prime example of this is the popular Southern phrase, bless your heart. <laughs> right? If someone from the south ever says to you, bless your heart, it's not a compliment. It's not, it's not a compliment. Sounds sweet, but what they're really saying is, you're an idiot. You're dumb as a brick, you idiot. And you know, when we hear the dominant metaphor of the Lord as shepherd that runs through Psalm 23, you, you have to pay attention to the, the metaphor behind the metaphor that goes unspoken, which is that you and I are sheep. And that's not actually, not exactly something that we see as a compliment because sheep are not known as the most intelligent of animals. 
See, sheep have a tendency to constantly put themselves in positions of danger. And because they are social animals, they will follow wherever the leader of the flock goes, which is both the sheep's greatest strength and its greatest weakness. So for example, there was a story back in 2006 about a flock of 400 sheep in Turkey that plunged to their death, all of them, because the leader of the flock tried to cross a 15-meter deep ravine. And so when the first sheep went over the cliff, the rest of them just followed, one after the other after the other, all 400 of them. See, good leadership for sheep is indispensable. And see, part of what it means for a sheep to be a sheep is that they are made to stay connected to the flock and they are meant to be led. It's usually when a sheep begins to act outside of normal sheep behavior, disconnecting from the flock and going it alone, that sheep start to get themselves in trouble and find themselves in dangerous situations. And sheep herders will tell you that sheep don't naturally go off on their own. They either somehow get accidentally separated from the flock or their disconnection from the flock is an indication that they're sick. Maybe their vision is going. Maybe they're losing their hearing. But an isolated sheep is usually a sign of an unhealthy sheep. And when sheep are in this position of being isolated, directionless, and without support, they get highly agitated, anxious, and stressed out. See, this description of a sheep is actually starting to sound a little bit like me. And I wonder, I wonder if it's starting to sound a little bit like you too. See, for some of us, we just know that we don't do well when we feel like we have no support and no sense of direction. For some of us, our biggest fear in life is feeling like we have to go through life with no one having our back and with no one to help guide us as we walk through the unknown and uncertain journey called life. Because see, everything that lies ahead of me in life is somewhere that I haven't been before. The road ahead is a path that I haven't walked before. And it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, everything ahead of you is unknown to you. And there's nothing that gives you and I more fear and more anxiety than the unknown. Now, some of you might have convinced yourselves that you prefer to go through life alone. You've convinced yourself that you don't need any support, that you don't need any guidance or any leadership, and that you've got this. You, you, you say to yourself that you're your own person and that you make your own decisions. But if you would, for a second, give yourself the permission to just be honest with yourself. You would recognize that your go-it-alone mentality is more a coping mechanism or a survival mechanism for having felt abandoned and left without guidance than it is the true and deep desire of your heart. Because the truth of the matter is, is that all of us were made to be led. And there's something within all of us that desires to be guided and directed. And we all want to know that someone's in our corner, 
that someone's got our back. That's why you sought out that teacher or that professor to be your mentor. It's why you're looking for someone in your new company who can show you the rope so that you can avoid easily avoidable mistakes. It's why we read books and listen to podcasts of experts in our field or in life who we think have some sort of wisdom that we can benefit from. And we all hoped that our parents would be the leaders, the guides, and the shepherds in our lives that we could look to and that we knew had our backs regardless. But for some of us, that just hasn't been our story. And this is why Psalm 23 resonates so deeply with us. Because King David names those desires that we all have to be cared for, to be led, to know someone has our back. And when fear starts to rise up in us, when it feels like we have none of those things, and when we question if anyone is for us, when we wonder if anyone will lead us forward into the uncertainty of the future, the message of Psalm 23 comes to us like a balm for weary souls. The Lord is my shepherd. Or to put it another way, you can simply say it like this. God's got me. God's got me. I want you to say that with me. God's got me. God's got me. Yes, God's got me so I won't lack anything I need. God's got me when I'm anxious and knows how to make me rest. God's got me when my soul is thirsty and can lead me to still waters for refreshment. God's got me when I feel like giving up and I need some restoration. God's got me when I don't know the right way to go. God's got me when all I can see around me is darkness. God's got me when everyone else is against me. And guess what? God will have me all the days of my life. See, there's not one of us in this room that doesn't want that to be true. And we love Psalm 23 because we desperately need that to be true. Uh, But don't miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Notice that... David doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He gets much more personal than that. He says the Lord is my shepherd. All over the Bible, God is described as a shepherd, a a shepherd to his people. But it's only here in Psalm 23 where this great truth about God gets so deeply intimate and personal. See, David wasn't content to know this as a general truth about God. David had to appropriate this for himself, for his own life, for his own situation. See, for far too long, some of you have remained content to have God as a distant and general reality that you believe in instead of a personal and intimate shepherd that you trust in. And I believe today God is inviting some of you to take the step from knowing God as a shepherd to trusting God as your shepherd. But listen, for God to be my shepherd means that God gets the authority to shepherd all of me, not just some of me. It means that God gets to lead and guide and direct the Sunday part of me, but also the Monday through Saturday part of me as well. 
And so we got to realize that our desire for God to be our shepherd requires that we learn to release our hands from the desire to control. I don't get to claim the Lord as my shepherd and remain the shepherd of my own life, the captain of my own soul and the master of my own fate. I don't get to do that. It doesn't work like that. But the promise that comes with submitting my life to the shepherding care and guidance of the Lord is that I won't lack anything I need. I'm going to be brought to places of deep and satisfying rest. I'm going to find the restoration that my soul has been longing for. And the Spirit of God is going to lead me to walk down right paths. And look, I've tried shepherding my own life. And I can tell you that that's not usually where I end up when I take the reins, when I take control myself. It's like those times when I've tried to drive to a new place without using my maps. When I do that, usually one of three things happens. I usually end up going in completely the wrong direction. I end up going a super roundabout way that adds significant and unnecessary time to my journey. Or I end up getting caught up in a whole bunch of traffic that I could have avoided had I just humbled myself and asked maps where to go. See, when I surrender control and allow God to be my shepherd, I'm always going to be led to good and better places without wasting unnecessary time and without experiencing unnecessary heartache. But here's where this whole the Lord as my shepherd thing throws me off. See, verse 3 says that God leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm good with that. I, I can get with that. But then verse 4 comes along and says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or as another translation puts it, even though I walk through valleys of deep darkness. See, in my mind, those two things don't go together. If I'm walking down right paths, if God is leading me down right paths, in my mind, it means that I'm avoiding the valley of deep darkness. If I'm walking down the right path, it means that God is taking me in a direction to avoid what feels like a shadow of death, to avoid the hardships, to avoid the trials, that God is taking me this way. These things don't go together for me. But as I read that, it reminds me of a time in my life, about uh, three years of ministry, of life and ministry before we came and we moved here to, to New York to plant Hope Church East Village. We spent three years down in Pennsylvania. I was pastoring at a church down there. And I'm not going to get into the, all the details of it, but those three years were some of the hardest years of my life. Shortly that was shortly after my mom had passed away at the age of 56 from breast cancer. I had just become a new parent, not to one, but to two, identical twin girls, trying to figure this thing out. My wife and I had moved from L.A. to Pennsylvania to be close to, to family. We had no family on the West Coast. And uh, when we moved back, we moved in with her parents, and so we're in her old bedroom with, it's all four of us plus our dog, for, for 14 months, 
trying to figure it out, trying to save money. And that was just, it was a, it was a hard season. Not only just because things were hard in, in, in family life and just trying to navigate relationships, but uh, as I was pastoring, the, the, the context that I was pastoring, and there were just some, some real hardships that I had to walk through during that time. Some hardships in ministry as I'm trying to, to, to navigate a, a, a predominantly a white church in the middle of Pennsylvania through engaging issues of racial justice and reconciliation. During a time right after uh, the, my first Sunday there, when I first started there, was right after Michael Brown was shot and killed in Ferguson. And so tensions were already high. Things were already heated. And so I'm tasked with helping to lead this congregation through some stuff. And it was hard. And it sort of just spiraled from there over the next several years. And so I had no doubt in my mind that God had led us to that place. No doubt. See, we had, we had prayed and discerned together. We had mentors, people speaking into our lives who knew about this and who were like, yeah, we, we think this is a good move for you to go back to be close to family, to, to take this time. We, we, we knew this was the right move for us. We knew that God was leading us in that direction. But see, when, God, when, you, when you know that God is leading you in a certain direction and you arrive at that destination and then you get there and it feels like death, you look around and you're like, God, why did you lead me here? Well, where are you at? Are you even with me in this? I can't see anything around me but darkness. I can't feel anything that, but, but what feels like death. And it felt like things were just squeezing me, pressing me. But what I learned is that there was some things that I had to go through during that time. Some things that I learned about myself, that I learned about who God is, things that my wife and I learned about marriage that we wouldn't have learned had we not walked through that season. There, there, there was some, some, some necessary stretching that needed to happen in order to produce some growth. See, growth doesn't happen just by going forward when everything is easy. Growth happens when you're stretched. Growth happens when you're crushed. Growth happens as death happens so that new life can spring forth. And see, what I came to, to realize and know on a deeply experiential level is that when I allow God to lead me down right path, it's probably going to require me to pass through valleys of deep darkness at times. Because it's in the valley where I learn how to trust. It's in the valley when I can't see anything. It's in the valley of deep darkness when I learn how to hear the voice of the shepherd when I can't see the shepherd. And I don't know if you knew this, but God does God's best work in the dark. See, see, the disciples didn't know this on that first Holy Saturday after Jesus was crucified when they were filled with fear and they locked themselves in a room. They didn't know that underneath the surface, in the darkness of the grave, that God was doing something that would transform the entire world. See, God has a way of turning dark graves into gateways for our transformation. And if you and I could see from God's perspective, we would see that what looks and feels like a grave to us is actually a womb in which God is preparing to birth something new in your life. 
but we see things from our perspective. And from our perspective, the valley is dark. It feels like death. And so God's promise to us in the valley, when we can't see anything and when it feels like death is surrounding us, is fear not. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. My presence will lead you. And I don't know if you knew this, but that's good news for you. That's good news. But this isn't about a warm and fuzzy experience of God's presence. God doesn't promise that. But God says, I will be present to you in your valley in a very specific way, with my rod in my left hand and my staff in my right hand. See, the rod and the staff are indispensable tools for the shepherd, and they have different functions. The rod is for the sheep's protection. The shepherd uses the rod to keep away any wild animal or any predator that will try to come and attack the sheep in the valley. Because listen, sheep have no way of defending themselves against their predators. They've got to be fully reliant on the rod of the shepherd. And let me take this moment to remind you that you and I don't walk through life in neutral territory. We have an enemy. You have an enemy. I have an enemy. You have a target on your back. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, the devil roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You have an enemy that wants to destroy your soul, that wants to devour your life, that wants to take you out. But see, as surely as you have an enemy, you have a shepherd with a rod in his hand that is ready to push back the powers of darkness whenever they would try to take you out. See, we have a God who, when the enemy is trying to press up against us and take our life, a God who steps in between and says, you can't have this one, not today, Satan. You can't take this one. I know they're afraid. I know they're anxious. I know they're shaking. But guess what? I've got them so you can't have. See, that's what our God does with a rod in his hand. The staff, however, is not used for defending the sheep. It's used for pulling the sheep back into the fold when they wander. Because when sheep are in the valley, in places of darkness, in uncertain circumstances, that's when they can tend to get agitated and anxious, and that's when they're prone to wander away. But I'm so glad that I have a God who is not only committed to pulling me back when I wander, but is also equipped to pull me back when I wander. See, God knows how to bring you back. God knows how to bring you back. God knows if in this season you just need a gentle nudge back into the fold or if you need to be yanked back. Sometimes we need to be yanked back because we're a little stubborn and we've gone too far. But God who is committed to us, God who is faithful to us. You know when all throughout the Old Testament it says that God is a God who has overflows with steadfast love? It's talking about God's faithful commitment to you. That God, when you wander, is committed to pulling you back. That's just part of God's character. That's the character of the shepherd. He's going to pull you back when you wander because he's committed to you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. See, true comfort in the valley is God keeping my enemies from destroying me. 
and God keeping me from destroying myself. Keep the enemy at bay and keep me close to your side, God. I don't need anything else. And so equipped with a rod and a staff, God will lead you to the valley. But God will never lead you to the valley if God doesn't intend to lead you through the valley. And I can promise you that on the other side of the valley, there will always be more than you could have ever hoped for. And I don't have time to get into all of the richness of the verses in 5 and 6, but I'll simply put it to you like this. It's only after you pass through the valley that you're prepared to experience the abundance of God's presence. It's only after you pass through the valley that you're prepared to experience the abundance of God's presence. See, in the valley, I learned to trust the presence of God when I can't see it and when I can't feel it. But when I come out on the other side of the valley, that's when I'm ready to live in the experience of God's presence continually. And you might ask yourself, why is the invitation to live in God's presence good news? I can only tell you this that through all of the situations and circumstances of my life, I need to know that there is someone with me who is greater than my circumstances. And that because this God's got me, nothing that desires to harm me can have me. Because this God's got me. Because this God is holding me close. That's why the end of the journey that David has been singing about in Psalm 23 is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the, that's the climax of the song for him. That's where the song is leading. That's where it's going. The Lord is my shepherd, and he's shepherding me to live continually in his house, in his presence continually. And that's where I want to be. I'm going to call the worship team back up at this point. See, God is leading you and I to a place of unhindered communion. The destination of this journey that we're on is full delight and satisfaction and nourishment in the presence of God all the days of your life. It's the abide in me and I in you that Jesus talks about in John chapter 15, where we live day by day and moment by moment fully present to the presence of God. And listen, God is present with us all along the journey, but something changes. Something changes when we become present to the presence of God. Something changes for us. When, see, when we become present to perfect love, that's when all fear is cast out. When we become present to perfect peace, that's when our anxious hearts are calm. When we become present to abounding grace, that's when our failures don't overwhelm us, when they can't take us out, when they can't paralyze us. See, this God is present with us all the way, but God is waiting for us to wake up and say, oh, you're with me this whole time. Your presence is, has been with me all the way. And for us to walk day by day, moment by moment, aware and conscious of this presence, 
learning to commune with this God and walk with this God and abide with this God all the days of our lives, that will transform us. Jesus says, when you learn to abide in me and recognize that I abide in you, then and only then will you bear much fruit. That transforms your life. Because then you become a person who recognizes that this God who is present with you is a God who's desiring to fill you up so that you can be a person who overflows, so that your cup can overflow, so that other people through your life can experience the very presence that you've come to know and love. You become a conduit for the presence of God in the lives of others. When you recognize that this God is present with you and is filling you up, and is giving you everything you need. And you become free because you don't have to claw and scratch to get what you think you need from other people because you've got it. And so that you become a person who is generous and giving and overflowing in love instead of a person that needs to crush others just to get what I feel like I need. This is the invitation of Psalm 23. See, God is saying, recognize that you are a sheep and let me be your shepherd. Come under the shepherding care that I have for you. Let me lead you forward. I will lead you through the valley into the abundance of my presence where you'll find rest, where your soul will be restored, and where you have nothing to fear, nothing to fear. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that this morning? Can you own that this morning, that the Lord is your shepherd? And say, Lord, I don't want to walk away from this place today without you shepherding my life. I, I need someone who's greater than me, who's been where I've been, who's been where I'm going in the places that I can't see. You've been there before, God. God has gone before you. See, part of the beauty of Jesus coming and being a human and putting on flesh is he's saying, I've walked through this life already. I've experienced the trials and the temptations and the hardship. Guess what? I've even passed through the doors of death and come out the other side. And so there's no place that you will go that I haven't been and come out the other side. God wants to lead you through because God's been there before. And God can lead you through. But God's not going to force God's self on you. God says, come under my shepherding care. Let me be your shepherd. And that's the invitation to you today. The Lord is your shepherd. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you are our shepherd, that you have come to pour out your love and your care on us. And you, you, you know just how, how anxious we can get, Lord. You know how agitated we can get when we feel like we don't know where we're going, when we have no direction. And we need to be able to hear your voice. Jesus, you said my sheep know my voice and they hear me and they follow me. 
Jesus, you said that you are the good shepherd and that you lay down your life for the sheep. And so, Jesus, I pray that each one of us today would entrust ourselves into your shepherding care so that you can guide and lead us wherever it is that we need to go. And that we wouldn't be filled with fear as we walk through the valleys of our lives, the, the, the necessary places that we're going to go to have to pass through in order to experience the abundance of your presence, God. But Lord, that we would know that you're with us, that you're leading us, that you're guiding us, and that nothing can destroy us because you've got us, God. And so we praise you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.